Why be a Christian? If I were to ask you that question, why would you want to become a Christian? What would you say? Have you ever thought about it? If you are a Christian, what's the reason for all of this? All the singing, all the uh, prophecy, all the speaking, the endless meetings, the prayer, the following rules, the reading the Bible. What's it all for? What's it all leading to? A lot of us probably think we know. Some of us have never thought about it before. But let's think about it and ask some questions. What's the point of Christianity? Is it to be forgiven? Is it to get healed from addictions and sicknesses? Is it to make us holy? Is it to have a happier life? Is it to understand the world better or maybe understand ourselves better? Is it to understand the mysteries of of the Bible? Is it to get to heaven? Is it to escape hell? Are these the point of Christianity? Is this what it's all leading to? Or is there something more? What is the gospel ultimately offering us? You You may or may not know, the word gospel means good news. So what is the good news? Probably the best known statement of the gospel in the Bible that most of us will have heard before is John 3.16. A lot of us probably know it off by heart. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Who's heard that scripture before? Okay, most people in the room. But I think even though it's very famous, a lot of times we don't really think about or understand what it's saying. We understand that God loves us, yes. We understand that he sent Jesus, the Son of God, to die on the cross, and that if we come to him, we can be forgiven and we can go to heaven. But the verse doesn't say that whosoever believes in him will not perish but go to heaven. Right? Does it say that? What does it say? That they may have eternal life. What does Jesus mean by eternal life? That's Jesus speaking there, by the way. What does Jesus mean by eternal life? I think usually we think about it just as a metaphor for going to heaven. Just another way of saying it. But even if that's true, have you ever thought, what's so good about going to heaven? What is it that makes heaven a place that you want to be for eternity? I think we usually think about eternal life as going to heaven, and what that means is living forever, not dying. Right? But the gospel's offering us something much more than simply living forever in the same way that we live here today. How boring, think about that. How boring would that be? Take your life today, this past week maybe, extend it forever, 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 forever into eternity. 
don't know about you, it would get boring maybe after the first thousand years, first 10,000 years. If you've had a tough life, living forever in that way may not even sound like good news. That may sound more like a curse. Eternal life means a lot more than living to your foreverth birthday. Okay? <laughs> it means much more than simply not dying. Eternal life means truly living. Eternal life is the kind of life that Jesus has. The most truly unending unfathomable kind of life that there is. It means to share in that kind of life. It means to have the kind of life that God has in us. Not simply more quantity of life as we know it, but a whole different quality of life. A whole different order of life. And that's why Jesus in John 10.10 says these famous words as well. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. I'm not sure what the translation up there says. (laughs) Some translations say life in abundance. Overflowing life. But what is this full life? What's our deepest need and longing that Jesus says... His coming will give us. Now, this, this next verse I'm going to read is probably one of the most life-changing, profound verses that, that, uh, in, in my personal life. Jesus defines what eternal life is, what true life is. John 17, 3. Jesus says, this is eternal life. This is it, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That's what eternal life is, to know God and Jesus whom he sent. It means intimacy with God that fulfills our deepest longing, the life of God in us. And the reason that we're forgiven, the reason that we're healed, the reason that we, all those other things is to bring us to that. They're means to an end. The gospel's not that you can just be forgiven. The gospel's that you're forgiven so that you can know God. To have intimacy with Him. To, ha- to share in the kind of life that He has in you. But maybe you're thinking, so what? What? So what? What's so great about knowing God? How does that actually touch my real life? Well, I think the reason that Jesus calls this eternal and abundant life, full life, is because relationship, deep and intimate connection with other people, is the reason we're alive. It's the deepest desire that we have beyond anything else. I watched a uh, 
talk by this lady called Bren Brown. It's on the uh, TED website, if you know what that is. And she's a social worker, and she's a sociologist, uh, researcher. And she's not a Christian. And I, I watched this show, and uh, sorry, her talk, and it was really interesting what she said. She said, her bottom line of why she thinks we're here is relationship. She says her years of social work have left her without a doubt, and I'm quoting, connection is why we're here. It's what gives meaning and purpose to our lives. This is what it's all about. So she learned that through her, her work as a social worker, and then she decided to get to the bottom of it. Why is that so? And she went and did a, a study for 10 years, interviewing thousands of people about what's most important to them. What do they really want? And she came to the conclusion that relationship is what we want above anything else. And I think even without the 10 years of study, thankfully, I think we know that intuitively anyway. Because we all know you can get all the money in the world, all the possessions in the world, all the women or men in the world, and if you don't have true and deep friendships, if you don't have someone who really knows you and accepts you for who you are, you still feel empty. That's why when they asked John Rockefeller, the richest man in all of history, how much money is enough? He said, just a little bit more. It's never enough. And we also know the opposite. Even if you find yourself without any money almost, without any possessions in the world, and yet you're known, accepted, and loved, you have true friends, you almost don't need anything else. You're full. The reason is because we're made for relationship. The other things don't satisfy us because they're not the fuel that we were made to run on. They simply don't make the engine work. But I want to go a little bit deeper. Think about this. The depth and therefore the satisfaction that you can achieve in a relationship depend now follow me here the depth that you can achieve in a relationship depends on the potential of the person or thing that you're loving to love okay it, it depends on the capacity that they have to love so for instance we can have a certain depth of relationship with a dog right we have that saying, dog is a man's best friend. And it's because, you know, we can have an affection with a dog. A dog will show us that, that he, he missed us, that, uh, that he cares about us, that he's loyal. Um, and that's why dogs, m maybe more than any other animal, uh, you can have a, a connection with. And it's a certain depth of connection, right? That's not true of all animals. It's a much deeper connection than you can have with a pet fish. Am I right? There's only so deep you can go with a fish. Fish doesn't... I'm not sure it really knows that you're there. <laughs> now, if, if you follow me that far, go from fish to dog 
It's a human being. A human being isn't only a companion, a friend. A human being can be a lover. A human, we've even got that phrase, soulmate. A human being, a relationship with a human being fulfills a part of us that animals never could. And you probably know where I'm going with this. If that's true, what is the potential? How much greater and more satisfying could it be to have a relationship with an infinite being? A being that has no limits. A being who is never selfish like we are. Who doesn't hold back. A God who doesn't just say, I love, but he says, I am love. I am love. So true, deep relationship is our deepest desire beneath all the other stuff, and I think it's what we look for above anything else. But why do we encounter it so little in our lives? Why do we get to touch that thing that we most want so few and far between. Well, back to Bren Brown, that, the lady, the sociologist. She found that over her course of that 10-year study, she not only found that relationships the thing that we most want, she also found that the thing that keeps us from getting that, the thing that keeps us from relationship, from connection with other people, is shame. She defines that as the fear of disconnection. What do I mean by that? True connection with another person requires that we show who we really are. It requires us to let our guard down and take off our mask. Because if the other person doesn't know who I really am, how can they really love me? They're just loving the mask if they don't know who I am. But what holds us back from taking off the mask is this fear that we have that if people really knew who I was, if they really knew the real me, they wouldn't want to know me. No one would probably want to know me. It's that fear that says, if you knew who I was, the thoughts I have, the things I've done, you would disconnect yourself from me. And so I have to wear this mask to try and try and maintain this relationship, but we hold ourselves back from the very thing that we want. And if you don't believe that you do that, that you're fine with knowing, with everyone knowing just exactly who you are, imagine tonight, I've, I've used this illustration before, but imagine tonight at the local Odeon, they were showing a film of your life. You might think, okay, all right. I'll come out the hero, but the film shows everything you've ever done, even in secret, everything you've ever said, even when no one was listening, and the soundtrack is everything you've ever thought. <laughs> Would you want anyone to see that movie? I wouldn't. <laughs> Imagine your friends seeing that movie. Imagine your mother seeing that movie. <laughs> no, we'd do anything we possibly could to uh, make sure they didn't make it. 
So we want to be loved, but the problem is we don't want to do what's necessary to be loved because we're scared. You know, we have this saying, love is blind. That to be in love means you just don't see anything wrong with that person. They're just perfect. I can't see anything wrong. But if you follow me thus far, you know that's not true love. That's just infatuation with the mask. (laughs) True love doesn't exist where we can't see any defects. True love exists where we see all the defects and still love. Where we see all the imperfections, all the ugliness, and we still love, we still accept. Now this might sound a little counterintuitive, but that's why true love cannot exist without true judgment. True love cannot exist without knowing who the person really is. That's why the love of God is perfect. Because he knows exactly who we are. And he still loves. He's seen our life movie. He was there when it happened. And yet he still loves. In fact, it's not only that. Knowing all of that, he still decided to try and reach out to us and make a relationship with us. He was willing to go so far that he would die for that. So that he could know us, so we could know him. And now, because he did that, if we're linked to him, we can take off the mask. We can reveal who we really are in front of God and know him. What could we really hide from him anyway? (laughs) And that's why in 2 Corinthians 3.16 it says, When one turns to the Lord... The veil is removed. And we, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That is why we're alive. That's what it means to truly be alive. That's what Jesus calls eternal life. And that's what this book is about. This is the Bible. That's what this is about. You know, most of the time we read the Bible and all we get from it is, oh man, I'm not keeping up with the rules. I better drink a little less or I better swear a little less or I better... Or maybe, here's my manual to be happy. And when we think like that, we've missed the point. Those things, they're good things, don't get me wrong, but they're byproducts. They're the good benefits of the main thing. Forgiveness is a beautiful thing, but it's a means to an end. Freedom is a beautiful thing, but it's a means to an end. Like I said, eternal life means not just more quantity of life, but a whole different kind of life. 
And the good news, the gospel, the truly good news is that we can know God and we can have that kind of life. We've gotten this idea that somehow to be saved means uh, I've prayed a prayer, I've been forgiven, and when I die, I'll go to heaven. Now, did you notice a gap there? What about the whole rest of your entire life? We treat it as if it's fire insurance, payable on death. That's what salvation is. The promise is not just something after you die, something post-death. The promise is life. The fullness of life available now to you, to anyone, regardless of how messed up you are, regardless of how much you've done, whatever your background is, it's available to you. Eternal life means more than just not dying. It means living for the first time, truly. So the next question is, how does that happen? How do you get that? How do you get to come into that relationship? How can you come to the point where you're able to take off the mask and be who you really are before God? He is holy, you know. (laughs) Which is the reason we have a big problem. We know that unholiness like us can't coexist with holiness like him. You can't have the two at the same time. But the problem is, the Bible doesn't just say that we commit sins. We do certain wrong things. It says we are sinners. There's something wrong, not just in our actions, but in us, in who we are. So really, we know that there's a good reason to keep the mask on, because we know it's, it's, it's ugly underneath. Now, the whole world, in different ways, is trying to answer, how do we fix that problem? How do we fix it? Well, those of us in this room, we, we uh, would probably say, well, Jesus is the answer. But I want us to see why the message of the Bible and the message of, of who Jesus is is completely unique among all the answers of the world. So when you look, some of you may have heard me talk about this before, but when you look at all the religions and philosophies of the world, you come to three different categories of answer of how to fix the problem of who we are. This brokenness in us that everyone recognizes that we have. All you got to do is turn on the news or look in the mirror, maybe. There's three different answers. First of all, you have those that will say, the problem is in your thinking. You need to fix your thinking. You need to believe this, that, and the other thing. Once you understand these ideas and you believe them, then you'll unlock the problem. That's number one. Fix your thinking. Secondly, you have those that will say, well, the problem is your experiences, your emotions. So what you need to do is get the right experiences. 
you need to take a trip to a holy place, visit a holy person, and you'll, you'll get a mystical experience that when you get it, you'll be changed. You'll get enlightenment, and you'll suddenly understand everything that you were looking for. So what you need is the right experiences. Fix your thinking, fix your feeling. Thirdly, you've got others that will tell you what you need to fix. The thing that's wrong is what you're doing, the way you're living. So what you need to do to fix that is follow these five principles, follow these eight principles, and you will one day become the person that you want to be. Change your doing. So if you listened, fix your thinking, fix your feeling, fix your doing. And it doesn't matter where you look, all of the systems and religions and, and philosophies of the world point you down one or a mix of those three. Except one. If you take all of the founders of religions, philosophers, systems, whether it's Buddha or Muhammad or Moses, they all came to show the way to God through one of those three. Yeah? The way to God is by believing these things. The way to God is by having this experience. The way to God is by doing and living this certain way. But the difference with Jesus is that he didn't come to show the way to God. He came to be God. He came to be the way to God. He didn't say, here's the way, here's the truth, here's the life. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. In any other religion or system, you could remove the founder or replace the founder and the system would still stand. You could theoretically take Moses out of Judaism. Replace him with Aaron if you want. Any other guy that God could have found. Because the important thing was not Moses, it was the message, right? It was the law. God could have used someone else. The same with Islam. God, uh, you could replace Muhammad with, en with, with another prophet. I know that uh, that's not the belief, but you could theoretically replace him and it'd be another prophet and the system would still stand because it's not him that's important, it's the message. But what happens when you take Christ, what happens when you take Jesus out of Christianity? There's nothing left. It's not like you've just taken something important out and you've still got some nice little bits over here. It's worthless without him. If you take the Christ out of Christian, you're left with Ian. And Ian can't save you. <laughs> That's not mine, by the way. That is my name, though. The important thing is not Jesus' message. It's Jesus. It's him. 
This isn't just an idea for you to understand. It's not just an experience for you to come up to the front and and get. It's not just a way that you need to follow the rules. No, this is a person that you need to get in touch with. (laughs) That somehow you need to know. That's what it's about. It's nothing less than those things. Of course, it's great to, un- to, to believe the right stuff, to get great experiences, and to live a good life. Those are all extremely important things. It's nothing less than that. It's something more. It's about getting Jesus himself. Because all those other things are external. You can't change who you are just by your thinking, or just by your experiences, or just by the way that you live. To be a Christian is about a change in your being, a change in who you are. Because we don't only commit sin, we are sinners, so we need a change of who we are. (laughs) What makes us a Christian is that we get a new being. That the life of Jesus, that eternal life, comes into us and changes us from the inside out. And you know what happens? We begin, our thoughts begin to change. Our feelings begin to change. Our way of life begins to change. It comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. And when that happens, when Jesus' life is in us, we're no longer a sinner, but a saint. You're no longer a son of Adam, but a son of God. And that's why that scripture says we're transformed from glory to glory into the image of Jesus. We need to be in touch with him. Why? Because the Bible says only God is good. Now usually we think that To get into heaven, you need to be a good person, right? You ask most people, you think you go to heaven? Well, yeah, I'm a good person. If the Bible says only God is good and you need to be good to get to heaven, who's going to be in heaven? Only God. Somehow, I need to be connected to him. And the only way that's going to happen is if God lives in me and changes me from the inside out. One writer puts it like this, the aim and objective is that we, with our whole existence as living creatures, would become the image of God. Body, soul, and spirit, that is the form of the human being in its totality, is to bear the image of God on earth. Because God is pleased with nothing less than God's own perfect image. That's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. God wants to transform us from the inside out and make us new people in the image of Jesus. Because that's the only thing that fulfills what we were designed for. And that is the good news. That that can happen. My message then is not that you should desire Jesus above everything else. 
we know that that is true, and I've heard that all my life, and it, it makes me feel depressed a lot of times because I know that I don't. Most of the time, I'm not thinking about wanting him. That's not what's on my mind. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> my message isn't that you should desire Jesus more than anything else. My message is that you already do desire him more than anything else in your life. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> Everything you ever really wanted and were searching for but couldn't find is found in him. And so whenever you're led down a certain path, you're not looking for that thing. You're actually, in your heart, looking for him. And that, I think, is an absolutely transforming truth. A lot of us have spent our whole lives going after stuff to try and find fulfillment. Everybody does. But what happens if you get the thing that you think you desire, but it doesn't satisfy you? You're going after this thing, you're going after it, you're going after it, you get it, and you still want more. Maybe the thing that you're going after isn't what you really desire. C.S. Lewis said this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If we gain the whole world and can still be left unsatisfied, it's because the thing that we want is not of this world. The person that we want is not of this world. The one that we really want is Jesus. The only thing that can ever truly satisfy us. You know, the most basic thing that we want when we love something is for that thing never to end, right? When you're in a, in a concert that you just absolutely love, you don't want it to end. When you're having an incredible steak, you just wish you could carry on tasting that forever. <laughs> if you're like me. Replace it with your favorite food. But whatever you love, you want it to carry on forever. But the problem is nothing lasts forever, does it? Nothing. Except God. We have that saying, all good things come to an end. God is the only good thing that never comes to an end. If you have him, you've got a good, you've got something amazing and fulfilling that will never end. That's what's so good about heaven. It's not the harps and the floating on the clouds. And We already know those kinds of... Well, I've never floated on a cloud and put a heart, but we already know the stuff that we currently know doesn't satisfy. The good thing about heaven is that God is there. He is what ultimately gives us satisfaction and fulfillment, and that is the promise of the gospel. Connection with the eternal God through Jesus. Life. That's what the promise is. So just to summarize, to have true love and connection, we need to take off our mask. 
and truly be ourselves. That's what you need to do if you really want a connection with someone. If you feel like you don't know God and you want to know God, how do you come to know Him? Trust Jesus. Talk about faith. Faith means trusting that even though you're not good enough by yourself to stand before God and look Him in the eye without shame, you know that Jesus is good enough. Jesus is good enough, and when we become Christians, we get connected to Him. In fact, the Bible talks about it like a marriage. That's one of the most common pictures for what it means to become a Christian. You get married to Christ. In fact, the marriage that we know in human life is a picture of that. Because two people join as one. What happens when that happens? Well, the reputation of the one now becomes the other person's reputation. The debts of the one now become both of their debts. Or the riches of the one, the inheritance of the one, the fortune of the one, now becomes both. His reputation becomes our reputation before God. His inheritance as the king, as the the son of God, becomes our inheritance. His, uh, sorry, our debts become his debts. And he's got deep enough pockets to pay your debts. (laughs) And that's how we're saved. It happens now as we come into connection with him. And it's not through any goodness or uh, worthiness in us. It's through the fact that we've been connected. We've married him. And he is good enough. I hope that makes sense. (laughs) So the most incredible thing is, it doesn't depend on us. It all depends on him. It doesn't, it's not just about trying to live good and change our way of thinking and just doing our best to try and get the right experiences. The only thing that can change us is him changing us from the inside out. And that can happen when we confess, when we really admit that we can't do it ourselves. When you really, really, truly let go and know and trust that only he can do it. To take off the mask and reveal who you really are and let God know you for sure, for true. And in that moment, we put it all on him and we put our eyes on Jesus. That's repentance and faith. And once we put our eyes on him, our faith, our trust, our hope, when we put that all on him, he promises to come into our life and to make us a new person. 
to make us a new being. So stop. (laughs) I'm preaching to myself here too. Stop. Stop it. Stop trying to prove that you can make it. That you can do it on your own. Come to him. Jesus is enough for me, for you, for all our families. When we trust him like that, that's when we can become children of God. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? We're being held out this promise from Jesus. I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you've done. What you've said. What you've thought. And I still love you. In fact, I love you so much that I, the creator and the king of the universe stepped off my throne and became like you so that I could show you who I am. And even though you rejected me, I loved you so much that I died for you. I accept you if you will accept me. I want to know you I am the one that you're looking for. To know me, to worship me and have my life is eternal life. Take off the mask today and fix your eyes on him and follow. That's all I have to share. (laughs) Um, So I think it would be good to spend a little more time worshiping together and to reflect on this. Let's take off our masks and fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him. So let me just pray for us before we um, sing together. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I thank you for your words to us. I thank you for the life that you've promised us. If only we'll come to you. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to understand that only you can really satisfy. That you are the only good thing that never comes to an end. And that we can have you through Jesus. 
And Lord Jesus, for those of us here that don't yet know you, I pray today you would open our hearts. Give us that that desire, that little glimpse that maybe you're what we're looking for. And that as we come to you, it would transform us from the inside out. So we thank you, Lord, and pray that your word would fall on um, a soil that's ready, that is ready to, to, to grow and be nurtured. And um, we thank you for the privilege and the joy that it is to know you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.